Welcome to Genesis. Uh, yeah, glad you guys are here tonight. And I know that uh, God's got great things in store for us tonight. And uh, we are continuing our series, The Tipping Point, tonight. And uh, tonight I want to talk about a topic that is uh, very um, common, and it is a topic that every generation has faced at one point or another, and it's the topic of culture. And so the interesting thing about culture is that it is always changing, and usually once time has passed, the aspects or the attributes of a culture, they kind of get romanticized a little bit. And so for a moment, uh, if you would join me, let's take a walk down memory lane, all right? So I'm going to have some pictures up here on the screen, uh, and we're going to go through every decade since the 1950s, and we're going to see what people were wearing, what people were listening to, and what people were watching. All right, so let's start in the 1950s. Let's see what we got here. All right, so, so we've got, what do we got on the left? Poodle skirts. I never understood that one. Uh, I never, never really understood that. Maybe if you can explain it to me later. Uh, and we've got Elvis, uh, and we've got I Love Lucy. Any I Love Lucy fans? Okay, all right. So, uh, all right, what about the 1960s? What do we got in the 1960s? Okay, so we've got uh, some Mr. Rogers-looking sweaters, uh, Andy Griffith Show, and uh, the Beatles. Yeah, so uh, can anyone name all the Beatles, all four of them? There it is. All right. All right, what about the 1970s? All right, so there's your clothes. Uh, we got the Bee Gees up there. Disco Fever it was like at its peak. I think Staying Alive came out in like 1977, I think. Uh, and you got the Brady Bunch. I feel like the Brady Bunch is like a show that I feel like a lot of us grew up watching. Uh, Nick at Night classic right there. Um, all right, what about the 1980s? Okay, so here we go. I don't know what that is on the left, but apparently that's what they were wearing in the 80s. Uh, we got Michael Jackson up there. Uh, and... Um, Thriller came out in the 1980s. I think that's still the best-selling album of all time. Uh, and then we've got Cheers, another Nick at Night classic. Uh, the, you know, it was set in Boston. The guy on the far left was a Red Sox fan. I used to love watching that show. So, all right, what about the, uh, the 90s? This is getting into our time. All right, so, so here we go. We got, whatever, you know, on the left. Uh, and then we've got NSYNC with Justin Timberlake's ramen noodle hair. And then we got Boy Meets World, uh, Corey and Topanga. I mean, we're, Corey and Topanga, you know, the best goals. Uh, okay, what about, uh, what about the 2000s? 2000s, all right. So Crocs, uh, it, I never, I can, I, can, I can honestly say I've never owned a pair, owned a pair of Crocs. Um, thank you, thank you. If you have, uh, you're forgiven. And Usher, I think uh, Usher, uh, the song uh, Yeah by Usher was like voted the uh, number one song of that decade. Uh, and then we got the OC, uh, and their faces look blurred out. Uh, but I never watched the OC. Apparently, it was a pretty popular show, though. Okay, so we got an OC fan. All right, what about the 2010s? Uh, the, okay, here we go. So we got long tees. Uh, you don't see me wearing one of those. Uh, I apologize, uh, and you're welcome all at the same time. Uh, Justin Bieber, and I'm sure there's mixed feelings about that one, uh, and The Walking Dead. Uh, any Walking Dead fans? Uh, I love The Walking Dead. Walking Dead is great. All right, so uh, now you may be one of those people who, uh, you know, that go back and you listen to the, uh, the music of the 70s, or you watch the TV shows of the 50s, and you look at it, and you watch it, or you listen to it, and you think, I was just born in the wrong time. I was just born in the wrong generation. You know who you are. Some of you have thought that before. So if you, uh, 
if you want to imagine this with me for a second, 40 years from now, it's going to be the year 2057, right? Is that right? So 2057. So 40 years from now in the year 2057, there's going to be this 14-year-old teenager sitting in their room in their angst and their acne, and they're going to be spinning a fidget spinner, wearing skinny jeans, and looking at their One Direction poster on the wall and thinking, I was just born in the wrong generation. Now that is kind of scary to think about, isn't it? That is terrifying. You're right. So the thing about culture is that it's always changing. And as Christians, we can often get swept away with the current of culture if we're not careful. And now I'm not talking specifically tonight about the fashion or the TV shows or the, or the, uh, the movies or the music. Uh, what I do want to talk about is the pull of the world and how as Christians, we are called to go against the grain of culture. So with that said, tonight, we're, like I said, we're continuing uh, our series, The Tipping Point, and this is week two. And we're actually going to be reading from Acts 7 and Acts 8 tonight. So uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to go ahead and turn with me uh, to Acts 7. And uh, to give you some context of this scripture while you're turning there, uh, at this point, Jesus has, has lived his life, his perfect life. He's, he's died his criminal's death, uh, and then he is resurrected, and now he is, uh, at the beginning of the book of Acts, he's ascended into heaven, and we see the apostles form the early church, uh, and miracles are happening. The Holy Spirit has made uh, his entrance. Uh, people are getting saved, and people are loving each other in this beautiful way like we talked about last week. But with this massive move of God, uh, there came a, a very great persecution. And so by the time we get to Acts 7, we see this man named Stephen get arrested for claiming Christ. And in the beginning of Acts 7, uh, Stephen makes this really long, epic speech, very similar to uh, what we talked about in Hebrews a few weeks ago, where he lists a lot of heroes of the faith and, and kind of shows that they're all pointing to Jesus. And he gets to the end of his speech, and he's talking to this crowd of Pharisees, crowd of religious people, and he says, oh yeah, you know those guys that you think are heroes of the faith? They all pointed to Jesus, and you knew Jesus, and you know what? You killed him. And so when they heard this, they got really upset and really angry because of what he was saying. And so uh, that's where we're going to pick up the story tonight. And uh, I just kind of wanted to also mention, uh, so we're reading the end of Acts 7, and we're going to move right into Acts 8. And so... That's, that may seem a little weird, like, but we're not really moving into a whole other chunk of scripture. It's, uh, when it was originally written, there weren't chapter numbers and verse numbers. So we're going to read it like it was written. And so uh, let's just go ahead and read that. So that's starting in uh, verse 54, and it's going to be on the screen. Verse, uh, yeah, chapter 7, verse 54. It says this. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. 
But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So we see here the, the crowd out of anger and hardness of heart uh, completely um, are against what Stephen is doing. And so, and like I was saying, this is a crowd of religious people, a crowd of Pharisees. And so th- these are people, this is kind of what we talked about before. These are people who have spent thousands of years practicing the same traditions, the same rituals, the same uh, sacrifices, the same laws. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus, and he's going against the grain of everything they knew. And then here, here comes Stephen, who is a part of this movement that, that Christ has started, and they're, so they're not very happy with him. And so we see this crowd out of the stubbornness and hardness of heart. They stone Stephen to death. And we see with Stephen's last, last breath, he, asked, he actually asked God to forgive his murderers, which I think is a pretty honorable way to go, if you ask me. And so in this story, we see two main characters, if you will. We see the crowd and we see Stephen. We see the crowd and we see Stephen. And so for a moment, I want to kind of put ourselves into this story. So if you, were, if you were on the scene, if you were on the ground in this time right after the early church started and you see what's taking place and you see the, the crowd of people, the crowd of religious people that are angry, and then you see Stephen, I wanted to ask you tonight, which side do you think you would be on? Which side do you think you would be on? Would you be more influenced by the crowd or would you be more influenced by this countercultural stance that Stephen had? Would you be hanging with the cool kids or with the outcast? And it seems uh, that the church, uh, especially in America, is trying to make uh, more and more of an effort to fit in with the culture that surrounds it. And uh, maybe it's because we're free here to practice Christianity and we don't face physical persecution here. I was actually having a a conversation with uh, some other staff at lunch today, and we were talking about people, Christians in other places in the world, uh, they're not really concerned about what's hip and what's cool and what's popular because they're too busy following Jesus and they're too busy looking out for their lives. And so here in America, we've got the, the music, the clothes, the reality TV shows, the fads, and the overall feel of church today seems to be what's hip, what's cool, what's popular. And that may not necessarily uh, be the best thing. I mean, it's fine in and of itself, But to to make it perfectly clear for us tonight is that no matter how hard the church tries to be, uh, to, to absorb the culture around it, it can't change the fact that the very essence and foundation of our faith was counterculture. That the very foundation of our faith was to go against the grain, not with it. And so if we're not careful, we may end up not being Stephen, but being the ones that stoned him. And so I want to ask you this tonight that, uh, and this, I, I feel like this is a very, a very relevant question for us tonight, especially like I was saying, sitting here in an American church, not scared for our lives and are, are very used to the current, uh, current church culture of being what's hip, what's cool, what's popular. I want to ask you this question and, you know, take it how you will. If you experienced a radical move of God tomorrow, if you woke up tomorrow and God started doing things like you see in the book of Acts, healing people, saving people, and people loving each other in this beautiful way, if you woke up tomorrow and you saw and you witnessed a radical move of God and it looked nothing like you think it should, would you believe it or would you kill it? Would you believe it or would you kill it? 
To claim Christ, it means to die to ourself and to crucify ourselves completely so that Christ can live through us. And that naturally means that, that means us going against the grain of the world, not with it, just as Jesus did. And let me tell you, that, you know, especially because of the, the recent events in, uh, in Las Vegas, this is true as ever. And there was actually a, another shooting last night at Texas Tech that we don't need more leftists, we don't need more activists, we don't need more Facebook warriors, and we don't need more Twitter fingers. What we need is a lot more Jesus. We, not, we need a lot more people following Jesus and less people wanting to walk with the crowd. You know, you can make a case for, for government regulation and fake news and all of the above conspiracy theories, but the one thing you can't argue is that we need more of Jesus. The one thing you can't argue is that we need more of Jesus. We need more people, less people trying to be like the cool kids, less people trying to be like the crowd, and more people trying to be like Stephen, and more people trying to be like Christ. The very nature of our faith is to go against the grain of culture. And so this, this begs the, the obvious question, how do we do it? How do we go against the grain? How can we be countercultural? And I feel like a, a simplified answer to that question is to engage the culture and not to escape it. To engage the culture, not to escape it. And so what do I mean by that? When it comes to our priorities in life, we have to be able to keep culture in its rightful place. And we can't help that we're, go- I mean, we're going to be somewhat a product of our culture. That's just how it is. It's the time we live in. Jesus was a product of his culture. He fasted. He celebrated the Sabbath. He probably wore the clothes of that time. He was a carpenter. Just like we have the certain music, certain TV shows, the certain movies that we have of our time. We can't help that we're somewhat part of our, part of a, a product of our culture. But the thing is, is that culture goes much deeper than that. Culture has the, has the, the potential to impact our decisions and our beliefs and our priorities. And so when I was, I was, uh, when I was writing this message, I, I wrote this, this, uh, this part, and I, I, it didn't really stick out to me until I started running through this. And I feel like this three-word phrase kept jumping out to me. And it's one that I'm personally, it personally resonated with me that I'm going to hold on to. But when it comes to going against the grain of the world, we have to keep Christ above culture. Christ above culture. Christ above culture. I have to repeat it to myself. Christ above culture. When it comes to a decision, when it comes to a crossroads, when it comes to wanting to be influenced by the world, Christ above culture, Christ above culture, Christ above culture. Don't forget it. Write it, on, write it down, do whatever you gotta do, Christ above culture. And the thing is that culture, it, it offers godlessness disguised as freedom and it, and it disguises disguise godliness dis, disguised as, um, as happiness and positivity, when really culture is nothing, it feeds us nothing but lies orchestrated by Satan. It's nothing but disguised godlessness. And uh, 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 two really fairly current examples of this is uh, earlier this year, uh, the, TV, the Netflix original 13 Reasons Why. Now, I'm not going to go too far into that, and you know, I don't want to get Anyway, there's differing, differing opinions. But the one thing that you can't argue if you ever watch that show, which I did watch it, and I kind of wish I wouldn't have watched it. Uh, but I would say that the overall setting and, uh, and culture that that show broadcasted was godless at best. 
Like, you do whatever you want. Whatever makes you happy, whatever, whatever makes you feel free, do what you want. And another example, the fact that we celebrated the death of Hugh Hefner shows us culture is messed up. Culture disguises itself as freedom and positivity and happiness when all it is is godlessness. That's it. We have to go against the grain of culture. And there's going to be situations in your life like we talked about where you're going to have to make a decision. You come to a crossroads where you are going to be forced to choose between culture or Jesus. And in that moment, I pray that's what you think, Christ above culture. Christ above culture. And so when it comes to engaging the culture and not escaping it, I think it's a very fine line. I think that when uh, even uh, one of the letters that Paul wrote, he talked about becoming all things to all people. And that's absolutely something that we have to do. We have to be able to find common ground with lost people or we'll never be able to relate to them. But when it, if it ever gets to the point where we start compromising what we believe in or compromising what we believe Jesus would have us do, that's when it becomes a problem. And so engage the, engage the lost up until the point you start to have to compromise what you believe in. Engage the culture. Don't escape it. And, uh, and the thing is, is that, you know, this, this, series, this series is about starting a revival, starting revival in the lives around you, the tipping point, reaching the tipping point of revival to where, to where the name of Jesus spreads like wildfire, like it did in Acts. And you know what? We're never going to be able to do that by looking like everybody else. We're only going to be able to do that by looking like Jesus, by going against the grain of culture. And we see Jesus, you know, he ate with sinners and he, he ate with the lowest of society and he hung out with them, but he didn't allow them to influence his mission. He hung out with the sinners, he engaged the culture, but he didn't let them influence what he was there to do. And I would encourage you to do the same. So in order to see the, the revival in the lives around you, a great beginning spot, a great start, is to start going against the grain of culture. Start to keep, start to keep Christ above culture. So uh, we're going to go into a time of table talk now. And uh, I feel like this, this is a... Um, this is an interesting conversation piece and an interesting topic because, like I said, this is a, this is a topic that affects all generations and all people. And, um, and so tonight, hopefully at your table, you'll be able to start a good conversation, start some good talk, and, um, and, and respond th- that way through or respond through that um, for this message. And, and like I said, I, I think that there's so much potential in going against the grain of culture uh, because, because no one else is doing it, and that's, that's the point. And so when we stop looking like everybody else, we start to win people for Jesus around us. So let me pray, and, uh, and then we can start Table Talk. Jesus, thank you so much tonight uh, for all that you do, and uh, we thank you for the, uh, the boldness of Stephen and for the boldness of your son, uh, who are willing to go against the grain of culture, to go against the grain of the world, and set an example for us, and, uh, and to pave the way for us. And so, God, tonight I pray that we would begin to keep you above culture uh, and to not let culture affect our decisions and, uh, and our priorities, God, but we would keep you number one. And uh, we thank you, Jesus, for the life that you lived, uh, for, for the life that was against culture, against the grain of the world, and, uh, and thus made you worthy uh, to fulfill the law and die for us so that we could be set free from our sin. So, God, we thank you for that. I pray your grace would cover us tonight, cover our conversations, and uh, that you would be with us tonight. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.